are listening to an extra shot episode on the Project Zion podcast, a shorter episode that lets you get your Project Zion fix in between our full-length episodes. It might be shorter time-wise, but hopefully not in content. So regardless of the temperature at which you prefer your caffeine, sit back and enjoy this extra shot. Welcome to today's Extra Shot episode on the Project Zion podcast. I'm your host, Katie Langston. Uh, Today's episode is a sermon I preached at Zion Lutheran Church on Sunday, March 12th, 2017. The lectionary text was John 3, 1 through 21. The sermon was entitled, Born of Water and Wind. I hope you enjoy. Now, there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews, He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, No one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you of earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned. But those who do not believe are condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. There's an ancient Jewish midrash of the story in Exodus when the Israelites reached the shore of the Red Sea that I find stunningly beautiful. The Israelites are refugees, fleeing an oppression and violence they had known their entire lives, with the armies of Pharaoh hot on their tails. They reach the shores of the Red Sea, and behind them there is a hostile but familiar military force in front of them, there is a raging sea with the wind swirling all around them. Then God gives the command, go forward into the sea. And they stand there 
terrified. It is a crisis point, a moment of decision, and neither choice seems particularly hopeful. It's a choice between what they have always known, but what has been violent and terrible, and something seemingly impossible, to go into the mystery and uncertainty of the sea. Then one man, Nishan ben Amidadab, so the Midrash says, decide to step forward. His name is derived from the Hebrew word nashol, which is translated as stormy sea waves. So here, stormy sea waves steps into the stormy sea waves, with the wind all around him, trusting God's command to go forward. The water comes up to his knees, his waist, his shoulders, his neck, and still Nashan keeps walking as the water fills his mouth and covers his nose. And it's at that moment that the sea opens up and the children of Israel are delivered from the enemies of Pharaoh and they walk through on dry ground. I've been thinking about this story a lot this week as I've been preparing for today's sermon. And to be honest, that's probably because I relate more to Nicodemus than to Nishan. I don't know that I have the faith just to walk right out into the sea. Instead, like Nicodemus, I often find myself coming to Jesus in the cover of night, confused about the encounters I have with him. That Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night isn't a neutral point. In the Gospel of John, night and day, darkness and light have symbolic implications. Nicodemus coming to Jesus in darkness, see, Nicodemus coming to Jesus in darkness signals something about Nicodemus and the state of his understanding that, that even though Nicodemus is a ruler, privileged, educated, urban, elite, he lacks an ability to see what is real. I find that so relatable. We all experience moments of profound darkness and misunderstanding. In fact, if we're honest, it's probably our default. Like Nicodemus, we carry our own set of baggage. We have our own stories. We, we come to Jesus from the lens of our own traditions or, or lack thereof, from different places and cultures with different ways of thinking about what faith means or what it is to be a person of faith. And we seek out Jesus, grasping and stumbling in the dark because, because we sense he has something to offer us, but, but it's hard to get a hold of, like trying to grasp water and, and watching it fall through our fingertips. I can imagine that my own conversation with Jesus would have been very similar to Nicodemus. I know that you are a teacher who has come from God. And Jesus responds, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Now, notice what Jesus says there. No one can see the kingdom. As if seeing is something extremely important to entering into it, but isn't possible in the darkness. And then there's that second part, being born from above. Now, some translations say born from above, and some translations say born again or born anew. And the truth is that the Greek word used there in Nothen means all three. Jesus is making a pun. But Nicodemus, who apparently has something of a literal mind, and so do I, doesn't get the joke and immediately goes to the more obvious meaning. How can anyone be born again? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born, he asks. And I think it's a fair question. I asked my three-year-old that question yesterday morning. Miriam, I said, what do you think? Can, can you go back into mommy's tummy and be born again? And she laughed and laughed. You silly mommy, she said. I'm too big. And she is. She is way too big. I mean, she was 10 pounds when she was born, and she was almost too big the first time around. So you can understand Nicodemus's confusion. It sounds like crazy talk, whether 
born again or born from above, it sounds like Jesus is asking something literally impossible, kind of like standing on the edges of the Red Sea and being told to go forward. So Jesus tries to clarify. No one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above or or born again. What? What is that even supposed to mean? If that's a clarifying statement, like I strongly recommend Jesus to go back to seminary where they teach you to try to say this stuff in ways that regular people like you and I can understand. And Nicodemus has a similar reaction. How can these things be? He asks. And instead of answering him, Jesus replies, are you a teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. Well, hello, Jesus. Of course he doesn't understand. That's what he's asking you for. And frankly, the rest of us over here wish that you had answered him a little better because we all have the same question. And it's obviously like, like a really important question because the gospel of John is obsessed with belief. It's a core theme. Jesus himself emphasizes how important it is that we believe. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Belief is so important. Why can't Jesus just give a straight answer about what we're supposed to believe? Because when you and I think of belief, we think of mentally agreeing to a set of doctrines or concepts. We have the scriptures, we have the creeds, and to say that we believe them means that we give them a mental check. Yes, affirmed. So apparently there's like this checklist of things we're supposed to believe, but Jesus can't even do us a solid by explaining in clear and precise terms what it is we're agreeing to. Instead, it's this abstract mumbo jumbo. The wind blows where it chooses and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. It's so frustrating because we're supposed to believe, but Jesus even says it himself. Who can catch the wind? Who can grasp water? But here's the thing about water and wind. We might not be able to capture them, quantify them, control them, try as we might, but we can experience them. To feel the the rushing of the current as we dip our toes into the river, or watch as the water washes over us and cleans off dust and dirt and sweat after a hard day. To float on our backs in the lake on a warm summer's afternoon. To stand still on a crisp autumn morning as the wind swirls around us and carries the leaves away or rustles our hair. It seems like a paradox, but perhaps the only way to begin to understand what Jesus is saying is to stop trying so hard to understand what Jesus is saying and just let ourselves experience it instead. It's almost like there's this whole other way of being that Jesus is calling us into, a way of life that involves more than just our mental agreement to some words on a page, but a fundamental change that takes place in our bodies, minds, and souls, a a change that involves not just thinking differently, but seeing differently, being different. It's almost like we become new somehow. It's almost like we're born again. And when you see it another way, maybe it's not a coincidence that Jesus says we must be born of water and spirit. Because when we're born again, we're born from above, we are brought into a special kind of relationship. We are born children of God. 
For you see, we've got this belief thing all wrong. In the Gospel of John, belief doesn't mean to mentally agree to a set of ideas. The Greek word pistevo is perhaps better translated as trust. And trust is inherently relational. It changes us, reorients us in the world, and and it's risky, and it's scary. And when we're born by water and wind, we begin to see things differently, and in the process, we enter into a new kind of relationship with God, like the relationship between a mother and her baby. This is such a vulnerable, tender relationship. But it's what God wants with us, what God created us for. So much that God was willing to slip into human skin. I mean, it's the most famous verse in the Bible, right? God so what? Loved. What? The world. Everything. All of us. That he gave his only son so that everyone who trusts him may not perish but may have eternal life. I think it's tragic that we take this verse and turn it into bumper stickers and signs at football games as a way to signal who is in and who is out. It's not a magic trick. There isn't a a super secret code word you have to say or a magical creed you have to confess to unlock the gates of heaven. For eternal life is nothing more or less than being born again into a loving relationship with God, a relationship that changes everything, both here and hereafter. I was talking to a friend recently about my own experience with this. I am what I like to call a recovering perfectionist. For many years when I was younger... I carried a lot of anxiety in my struggle and strain to feel acceptable to God. I hit a low point in my mid-twenties. But then something happened. I hit a moment where I felt God's love wash over me like a like a waterfall or a swirling wind. And somehow, I just knew that I didn't need to worry quite so much. That I was loved, deeply, a child of God. I said to my friend, I don't feel like this was something I agreed to. I didn't say, yes, I mentally assent to the idea that God loves me. I'd given lip service to that idea for years, but instead it felt like my eyes were opened and I saw it. For the first time ever, I saw what is real, and what is real is love. The Gospel of John is ambiguous about whether or not Nicodemus ever makes his way through the darkness. But I have hope, because like me, Nicodemus doesn't get it at first, but he keeps showing up. The next time he appears in chapter 7, he defends Jesus to the religious authorities. And the last time he appears, in chapter 19, he helps bury Jesus, bringing with him 100 pounds of oil and spices to care for the body that no one knows will rise again. It seems a very tender thing for him to do, like a child caring for a parent who has passed. I like to think he finally saw it, too. Because really, what are our alternatives? We can keep going as we've been going, grasping and stumbling in the darkness, clinging to our own ways of understanding, or we can dare to trust that even in the darkness, God wants us in deep, intimate relationship with the light of the world. I get it. It's crazy. Some days I am not sure which is crazier. It's almost like behind us. The armies of Pharaoh are approaching, and the violence and the terror of the world we've always known tempt us to return back. And ahead of us, a raging sea with its mystery and uncertainty. Do we stay with the violence? Or do we see that when we venture out into the water, with the wind swirling all around us, we just might be born again?
The views expressed in this episode are of those speaking and do not necessarily reflect the official views of the Latter-day Seekers team or of Community of Christ. The music has been provided by Ben Howington. You can find his music at mormonguitar.com. 